Hey everybody, this is So Many Sequels. I'm Josh. I'm Garrett. And I'm David. Welcome to the show, everybody. Woo! How's everybody oh, feeling? You know, a little run down, week. I gotta say. It is Thanksgiving week. Yeah, yeah I'm ready for food, unfortunately. We had... I want to talk about the sad news that we got today, and Jason David Frank is no longer with us. It made me oh. sad, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're going to start heavy. We're going to get weird later. May as well start heavy. Yeah, that was sad to learn about. Jason David Frank, famously, you know, of Power Rangers fame, passed away. Hey, there's a Green Ranger. You got the White Ranger? There we go. I remember being a young kid and the Billy sneaking into the command center and seeing them create the White Power Ranger. And I was just like, I had, that was the height of society as far as like a seven-year-old is concerned. What is happening in there? It was the first, it's probably like the first real twist uh, for me, you know, like in my memory of who's it going to be? Oh my gosh. And then when it was Tommy, it was like, genius genius you know i feel like jason david frank as tommy for me as a a young boy in the 90s was like the first oh you're like a superstar celebrity in my head you know oh you're the green power ranger or the white or whatever whatever color he was as he turned to different power rangers but he was like the only one from the show that i felt went beyond the show even just a little bit into stardom and that's yeah that's how i remember him it's very sad you know i have a big power rangers fandom in my life i have an entire shelf with all of the pops both in uniform and out of uniform i've got the villains i've got i need to get zordon now if i don't have but i but otherwise i have the whole mighty Morphin power rangers collection growing up i had the megazords and all of the toys and everything there i also remember specifically I had an exercise video, VHS, of Jason David Frank's Power Rangers, whatever routine way. We were doing like mountain climbers at the time, and I would pop that sucker in the VHS on the TV and, you know, try to get in Power Rangers shape. What happened? I don't know. You know, I didn't, they only released one video. Oh, there you go. You got it. You know, you have to rewind to do it over. That's true. It's true. Be kind, rewind. But I also, whenever we were doing some OK Connection stuff in those videos, we did one over the uh, Tulsa Comic Con whenever it came here for the first year. And Jason David Frank was here. And at the time I was working in news and he would be the go-to interview. I mean, he'd give you an interview. He had such a long line too every time. And, you know, he really made the best out of those cons and really made people feel like they were connected. So that's a really sad loss. It is. And, you know, I, I don't, we don't, have any, you know, the details are still kind of coming out, so I won't speculate or anything like that. But, it, you know, his his work and he has seemed to have such a great attitude. I've watched a lot of interviews with him. He seemed like a very cool guy. And so, yeah, it's a terrible loss. Yes. And, you know, for his four kids, too. That's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move into other. Happy what a great transition. I know. Um, yeah, sometimes it's a whole transition. I want to talk about. Gotta get out, out of it. it. You said it was Thanksgiving. I got to tell you guys, I'm over Thanksgiving as a feast, you know, because there's the thing. It's the same thing every year. Thanksgiving is the same thing every year. And I would love to mix it up. I want Thanksgiving steak, you know, with green beans and potatoes. If I don't want, I'm sick of turkey, ham, and cranberry sauce. How I'm do done you with cook this. Your turkey. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter. I'm sick of turkey every year. And you know what? We do it again at Christmas. It's the same daggum meal. I would I love disagree. Thanksgiving I don't do tacos one I don't year. do, we have always done, well, now we do pizza for Christmas Eve. But we That's don't great. We don't necessarily have a traditional, we have a traditional breakfast morning 
which is biscuits and chocolate gravy. I love it. Mix it up. That's what I say. I don't know why we have to be so restricted by this tradition of turkey and ham and scallop potatoes. Is it just because you're picking cranberries? No, it really, honestly, I used to love it as a kid. It was great. But you know what? I'm at 32 years old now, and I'm sick of it. I'm just done. Why are we doing it again? I want, okay, let's do, how about this year? Thanksgiving pasta. There you go. You get a bunch of pastas, lasagnas, you know, really do it different. But every year, it's just the same thing. I eat these gross cranberries, and I got to eat these green bean casseroles and stuff like that. I'm done with it. Fair. I have a friend whose family does Thanksgiving barbecue. Because they what a family, right? They don't like the the typical meal, just like you said. So I guess it depends on your family unit. Some might be willing to do that. And you know what? It's a smart idea if you want to save money, because you know they hike those turkey prices up right, right, right before Thanksgiving. You know that all that stuff is just going up, and everybody's grabbing it. But you know what? No one's grabbing. Okay, no one's grabbing the sushi. No one's (laughs) grabbing. No one's grabbing the uh, the salmon. Thanksgiving salmon. I bet they ate salmon at the first Thanksgiving. You think? Is that I an bet. Atlantic fish? I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't know. This is what we do in my family. We deep fry our turkey, which is the way to go if you're going to do a turkey. If you have a, if you have someone who is responsible and non-drinking, then I highly suggest getting a, te- a turkey fryer because it is the best way to eat a turkey. And then for Christmas in the past, yeah. like I said, we normally do pizza, but in the past we used to do brisket. I love the idea. Love it. Any kind of, anything to mix it up, you know? And uh, yeah, so that's my Thanksgiving spiel. If you would like to join me in my quest to rebrand Thanksgiving to an any food thing, you can find me at my TikTok account, which we'll have at the end of the show. Maybe you need to <laughs> maybe you need a TikTok rant about this and see what the people say. On my petition. Well, I'm doing it right now. I'm going to clip this later. On the subject of holidays, fellas, I have released the Kraken. I have opened the box and I have watched a Christmas thing. Oh, Christmas movies Christmas. have entered my life. I actually watched this one specifically so that I could talk about it at the beginning of this show today. I watched the first episode of The Santa Clauses. Me too. Oh, crap. Me too. I'm glad you did, David, because now I can. Ha- You'll understand, but Garrett will enjoy this. I took some notes. I did not watch the second one yet. I did I not, not either. I only watched the first one. And frankly, I thought it was bad. And let I can't me tell imagine you it's good. Let me tell you why. So many reasons you could go with. I know, but I have just a handful I wrote down. One was the musical moment of girls just want to have fun turned into toys and candy and fun. Elves just want to have make toys and stuff, yeah. 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 I don't remember if it was the Santa Claus 2 or 3, but the one where they build like the robot Santa Claus that looks like a toy. Mm-hmm. Tim Allen really looks plastic now. <laughs> The prosthetics are really bad. He looks like a caricature of what the Santa Claus used to be. Does he look like the version of himself in the Santa Claus 2, where he is made of plastic and is kind of... That's what I'm saying, yes. More or less. He looks more more like that than he looks like Tim Allen. I thought that was the third one, but okay. There was a terrible joke I wrote down that has no... No. It it makes no sense, but right before he goes into a montage about where he's trying to get fat. He goes, instead of Eye of the Tiger, it's Eye of the Kringle. Yes. That's the punchline. It makes no sense. Right. And then they play Eye of the Tiger. And then my last bits is, there's been a moment from this episode that's gone somewhat viral where Mm. Santa makes a comment about how no one's allowed to say Merry Christmas anymore, 
it's problematic. Well, no, Merry Christmas to all. Merry Christmas to all Merry is problematic. Christmas to all. Yeah. And that is not hardly the most egregious offense this show makes in terms of Tim Allen forcing politics into his acting. A little okay. bit of Tim Allen into it. Yeah. He didn't used to do this, and it saddens me that he does. The worst part was that there's a naughty and nice council that decides which kids are naughty and nice, and there is a very politically correct elf who lectures Santa on how we can't call it the naughty list anymore. It's the misunderstood list. Understood list, yes. Yes. It's like, that is so much stupider than the line that's honestly talked about. It is, it is. Yeah, it is oh, like it is if I asked an AI to write a conservative Santa Claus movie because Oops. it's all of the and I feel like I haven't continued on to episode two. I have not the rest of the series. I guess it comes out episodically. It's just probably Merry Christmas to all well, one gift until the day. If, if we're lucky, it'll not double down on that stuff. But I feel like it will. And it is very strange that I guess whoever is in charge must have given I would Tim Allen a lot of creative input. Because it yeah, does so feel look- weird. like it does feel so antithetical to specifically the Santa Claus from 1995. It couldn't 96. be more different. Exactly. It feels like We're a different there. Santa. It feels, yeah. I mean, He's honestly, totally in terms of these, in terms of these belated Disney Plus reboots, I do think this one definitely misses on it misses on the nostalgia entirely. Like, I love the first Santa Claus, and it's because it plays yeah. to 1995 Tim Allen's strengths, right? And he, you totally buy it, and by the end of the movie, you actually really, really like Tim Allen as Santa Claus. It feels like a very, it feels like weirdly perfect casting by the end of the movie. You're like, he has it. He has this warmth about him. The warmth is gone. It is bitter old Santa Claus now, and it does, it you know, there were moments where I wanted to, I wanted to keep going. I wanted to like it. I was like, maybe I can just look. I knew the joke was coming. Four oh. moments, yes. I saw. And, you know, but it just feels, I don't know. It just doesn't, it just not No, working. it doesn't hit. So there the, is, central, the magic is not there. The central premise, which is that more and more kids are starting to not believe in Santa, which is causing him to lose his powers. So he has to bring the belief in Santa back. And I like that a lot, except for they lean into the whole, well, no one's allowed to say Merry Christmas. Yeah, they're and, leaning into and one of the core not reasons. He has ADHD. Yeah, Weird one jokes. of the core, <laughs> one of the core reasons that people don't believe in Santa Claus is because you no, know, like they haven't said this directly. They have not said it directly yet. But essentially, the insinuation is one of the core reasons that people aren't believing in Santa Claus is because as a society, we're becoming more woke or over enlightened or non traditional, too progressive. It's oh, you don't have to celebrate Christmas if you don't want to. Which that nobody does that. I don't think. I think there's a lot of people still celebrating Christmas and there's still a lot of kids that believe in Santa Claus. There is, I think, as it was poorly done, but I do Cal Penn looking at a spreadsheet of his delivery competitors and asking, who is this 17%? And they're like, we don't know. It's a very like, the idea of digging around the lore of Santa Claus and figuring out how does people, how, how do these presents just show up and nobody knows? You know, is there like a magic charm that makes the parents think, oh yeah, we bought that? That's interesting, but. How is also... the true star of the show, David Crumholtz? Don't know yet. And <laughs> hadn't shown up yet. Hadn't okay, shown up yet. well then I will right, we wait might be with on pins and needles for my boy. We, to we show may up. be dragging this on too long, but not loving it so far. I'm willing to try to watch the second episode to see if it continue, if it gets 
Yeah, honestly, I kind of want to watch it until I at least get to see David Grumholtz. That's kind of all I'm here for. And then if it's still bad, then I might be out. I'm waiting for Judge Reinhold. Judge Reinhold and his weenie whistle. I do not think that those kids, that Charlie and the parents are coming back. But man, you can listen. What a great movie for Santa Claus. You can listen to our review of the Santa Claus. At some sequels. The movie. You scroll back, uh, you'll find it in one of our So Many Santas years. I think it was two years ago, maybe. Anyway, let's move on to our main topic of the day. How about that? Let's do it. We are watching and ta- and reviewing The Weird Al Story on the show today. Uh-huh. Bit of a niche movie, only available on the Roku channel. If you could figure out how to watch it there, right. you can do it for free. You just have to be able to figure it. Before we get too deep into uh, this, uh-huh. I would like to just fresh uh, everyone's memories. True. If we can see, yes, our little, uh, for the viewing audience, there's a picture of David, myself, and Josh, and Weird Al Yankovic himself. Yeah. And a fun fact about that photo: I'd already been fired that week, but I came back anyway. <laughs> now Josh got to interview Weird Al, I believe. There's a social media clip. Yes, yeah. So in 2013, Weird Al was celebrating the anniversary of UHF, which was filmed here in Tulsa. So he came to town. We were all working at. Right, radio station at the time, he was wow. kind enough to. Oh. <laughs> two and a half of us were working at a radio station at the time, and was kind enough to come in and allow us to to talk with him. So I got to interview him on the radio cool. for a little bit. It was very yeah. fun. I wish I could remember it. It was a blur. If I can find it, maybe I'll put it out in the feed for fun. Um, My favorite yeah. part of that interview is you often called him weird because yeah. what? That's the first but, name at that point in time, and yes. you're interviewing him. And I do remember. My first question was if I should call him Weird or Al. Yeah. He said we were not on a first adjective basis yet. Right. Right. Which is, Which is I, the funny that you struggled with, I remember you struggling with it a little bit because I think you were still just starstruck. I'm starstruck, with, first of all. In the conversation. But yeah, it was fun. I have a lot of good. We actually, the, one of the reasons he was there was we dedicated a closet to Weird Al at the university. So that's why. Uh, we'll have there, to, there's like, I'll dig up those photos. Yeah, we'll post those photos on our social media if we can dig them up. And I'll see if I can put them in the show notes. Yeah, we'll do that. Because it was very fun. And, you know, I just want to say that since that interview with me, Weird Al won a Grammy and has now yeah. made a movie. So I like to think I'm somewhat responsible for his career. At that at its core. Not to track that. It's and only been an upward trajectory. His first, for his first Grammy came after... I don't remember what the name of that album was, but... Was it Mandatory Mand- Fun? Mandatory Fun came out after yeah. that interview, and he won a Grammy, and the rest is history. You're welcome, Alfred. But, so we're talking about the Weird Al story today, all that to say. There will... There's probably going to be spoilers in this episode, so if you care about that, be mindful of it going forward, because there's just no way to talk about this without talking about the some of the hilarious takes and Definitely. directions that this goes in, because like you might expect, not everything as it seems with anything Weird Al makes... Much like he might take a song that you love and turn it into something funny, he has taken a genre of film that a lot of people love and turned it into something funny. This is just a big parody of music biopics. And yeah. The more of those you've seen and the more you enjoy, I think, the more you'll like this because some of them, some of the references are pretty niche, but it's still fantastic. Um, sure. David, I think you watched it most recently of the three of us. I did. What, I literally it? just got off of watching it what did you think then you have the freshest thoughts what did you think um, you know it was i had to keep remembering that the movie was not going to maintain any sense of connective logic because i'm watching it and it's very funny i'm like okay right away okay yeah his parents hate his weird you know his fun music and stuff like that 
But then he goes early on, he goes to a party with his friends, come to the party, and he sneaks out. And there were these people dancing, wearing lederhosen and stuff. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then he walks, and then they go, you didn't tell me this was a polka party. My parents are going to lose it, right? And I was like, right, 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 because his parents are not going to freak out about just, it's exclusively polka. And I had to keep, and so from uh, roughly after that, I was, I got in the mindset, but early on it does. So at the beginning, it does feel like a movie and it keeps feeling, and then it just slowly sort of goes off the rails to like, just completely like not even, it's not after a while, it's not even a music parody or a, a musical biopic anymore. It's just weird, right? fun goofiness where it's just it's completely divorced from reality and early on it feels like there's like a loose connection you know obvious lies are being told but it's loosely feels like a real thing and then it's just complete insanity so yeah i i was entertained i did think that often with parodies or spoof movies there can be i think an issue with with if you know if if they start doing a bit and the bit's not quite working for you you just kind of have to endure the bit and so there were a few bits that didn't weren't working for me. And I was like, oh, man, how long are we going to do this for now? And uh, and I, there was, the, I think, one of the funniest things because of how they handle it, how Daniel Radcliffe performs it, is the the bit, the fabrication, the bit that Weird Al wrote, eat it first. And then Michael Jackson parodied him with beat it. He normal out him. And that to me was. Because of Daniel reaction, Daniel's just slamming the phone, just so angry. That to me was quite funny. And I could have honestly, I would have loved to see the movie then continue to a beef between Dan with Weird Al and Michael Jackson. But maybe that was in bad. They thought that'd be in bad taste. Understand. Yeah, yeah. David, first I agree. I think the movie was great as a parody. The first half and then the second half, I kind of lost some steam. You know, it, it went in a few crazy directions and I was like, you know, he didn't necessarily need that aspect. I didn't love the Pablo Escobar elements. That wasn't, I didn't care for that. I really enjoyed, I almost think that this movie would have been great as a parody of a superhero movie because my favorite moments were whenever he just like di divine discovered his parody, like the finding of my Bologna and the breakdown of another one rides the bus. Like those two moments, especially for me were like, his superpower is to divine parody song lyrics to these things. And he becomes this outcast and uses his superpower for good eventually. But some of the musical elements were a little too far. I also didn't love the original elements. I didn't care for him being like, I'm going to be an original songwriter. And then just parodying. I didn't love that dynamic. But Daniel Radcliffe's performance was perfect. He mm -hmm. really was having fun. Yeah. For me, the one that does that is the whenever he's having his meltdown and the audience starts to hate him because he comes out and boos him and then he wins him over again and he's just losing his mind. I think that really he's just having fun doing that and all of it and it shows through. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely off the rails. Please don't think this is a real biopic of Weird Al. Yeah, Daniel Radcliffe has got to have one of my favorite acting careers of any young adults acting today he's just he's i don't know he's a weird man and i respect that <laughs> it makes me think look i've been a big harry potter fan since i was like eight so I, basically my whole life i've been convinced i could be friends with daniel radcliffe and i feel more certain of that 
now than ever. They're like, we could get along. He's very weird. So I love Swiss that. Army Man. I mean, like, I think you and I are the only two people who freaking love that movie. Look, he, yes, because even when he's in a movie that I don't like, he is something to watch for sure. So I was on board as soon as I saw that he was in this. As if a Weird Al movie would lose me, but you get Daniel Radcliffe on board and suddenly it goes to the next level. I would agree that the movie loses steam a bit once it kind of shifts into this weird drug lord kidnapping storyline. That feels like a little too much, but that's okay. It doesn't ruin it. It doesn't ruin the movie. It just kind of takes a little bit to come back around. I loved how they made him go through the ups and downs of a rising singer that you see in these movies, how he has a father who is abusive and wants nothing to do with music. How dare you have an accordion in this house is just very funny. And that his mom has been secretly helping him the whole time. I did kind of like the concept of Beat Eat It being an original Al song that Michael Jackson then, because I just like the turn that it turned it on its head a little bit and that he got to experience what the perception is that he has done to other artists. Because, right. you know, there's some artists who have historically not wanted to do their songs. And he has always asked and had good relationships with people who do. So it was funny to see him put in the position of someone who stole his song. I right. like that. There's a lot of great cameos that I wanted to discuss. Some are bigger cameos than others. I mean, you've got Rain Wilson as Dr. Demento. Cavalcade. Yeah. We call him by his real name, Rainfall Heatwave Extreme Winter Wilson, please. I will not because that is Timely. too stupid for me. I have the list here. Hang on. There's a great scene where he's at Dr. Demento's party and there's a whole bunch of cameos. Whole bunch. Yes. Whole okay. Bunch. We've got my favorite, Conan O'Brien as Andy Warhol was famous. Yeah, hilarious. Perfect use of Conan O'Brien. Yes. Yeah. Norma Tacone from The Lonely Island was Pee Wee Herman. Eva Schaefer also from The Lonely Island was Alice Cooper. Dimitri Martin played Tiny Tim. Paul F. Tompkins was Gallagher. Mm -hmm. Also recently. Rest in peace. Yeah. Mm. And then Emo Phillips was Salvador Dali. And, and then also just in the father. background. Yeah. Yeah, in the background, you see like Elvira. You see, I think, Frank Zappa. You see... You got uh, Jack Elton Black Joplin. as Wolfman, Jack. Yep. That's right. Oh, and uh, the Roger Deakin, the bass player from Queen, actually just happens to be there, played by David Almasian, which was very, I found that to be very funny just because I think it was, I think he had his own like spinoff album from Queen that was sort of like a joke comedy album. I could be wrong. It may have been very serious, but I remember researching that when I, after watching Bohemian Rhapsody, I was like, oh, he actually did have his own little thing. That's fun. Interesting. The only thing that would make, would have made that scene better is if Conan O'Brien was playing everybody and it was just consistent <laughs> every time it was Conan O'Brien. As PB Herman as whoever, um, that's I thought the they did a really good job of casting as far as who's playing what, and I thought they all did a really good job of playing their parts. You know, they may not look exactly like them, but you don't have to in a parody as long as you play your part. And they all really did sell who they were, and I thought they did a great job of picking people. Like you know, Paula Tompkins in the comedy circles like that. You know, you might a lot of people probably see him and go, "I know that guy," but you know, to see him in that role is just wonderful because that's it. he's that's, funny. He just looks like Gallagher always. <laughs> to have him play Gallagher just makes too much sense. Yes. And, you know, we get a lot of other big star cameos. We have Evan Rachel Wood as Madonna for most of the movie as well. In a hit and miss, I think, a bit with the Madonna stuff. And nothing against Evan Rachel Wood. She does a fine job. But it was, I, at times I was like, oh, this is funny. But then she stayed in the movie. You know? Once like, Madonna okay. entered the fray, that's kind of where the movie, I felt like, kind of went a little too all over the place. And lost right. some of the oh. essence that was really fun. There was elements of the Madonna parts that I liked, but the whole drug lord aspect. I want to, yes, I want to drop in here 
too, that Val's dad, my wife told me this, is played by Cotton Hill. Oh, about nice. that? How about that? It's uh, nice to put a guy, face to the name. The guy who's the voice of Cotton Hill was uh, was his dad, which I thought was pretty. I thought that was a fun bit, and he was being so mean, but it was also so comical. And his mom goes, "We just Thomas want you to Lennon. not be yourself or do the things you love." Anytime someone beats up Thomas Lennon is great, and I mean that as a fan of Thomas Lennon, he's just funny and he sells it well. I knew I was going to love the movie. Well, I knew I was going to really like the movie when Thomas Lennon showed up. Always. I've never disliked Thomas Lennon in anything. Yes. And as a random accordion salesman, perfection. Which that part of the story is uh, true. I did some research on what was true. Like if there was any element that was based in realities in this. And the closest thing that I could find is that weird. Al did get interested in the accordion when a door-to-door salesman came and visited the family about it. But uh, outside of that, everything else was basically just take it to the extreme i'm trying to think of another aspect talk about it let's uh, did you guys the credits were pretty great they had the uh, they had this very typical photo montage of weird al growing up that slowly but surely becomes pretty much not real footage or videos <laughs> yeah. photos yeah and i was there was a point where i was like wait a minute which where did these stop being real because there was a very realistic photo of him sitting next to john bon jovi and i was like okay all right and then there was another one and there was a new photo and i was like well, that doesn't look real. And then I yeah. went, was the John Bon Jovi one real? It's just so yeah. hard to, t- <laughs> now retroactively, it's hard to tell which ones were real, which ones weren't. Yeah. Because there was a photo with the real Dr. Demento, who's a real person who I figured was fake for most of this movie. Yeah, a lot of those people were real. And they have, in this article, I found they had some side-by-side, you know, pictures of who they picked to play who. And they do, again, a good job of parroting those individuals. Did you say the final end credit where he, is he dead? We never know. Could we get a Weird Al parody too? Maybe. Back and weirder than ever. Did you not see this, Josh? Roku didn't work for me very well. Oh, did it not? He kept sputtering on me with the connection for whatever reason. And uh, had a lot to say. I sit through a lot of ads, which was frustrating. I haven't signed up for the full account. But yeah, the I was given the credits were very fun because he sings a song narrating the credits. And uh, but I did I missed it. I just okay. The movie does end very in a very crazy way where it just says that Weird Al was assassinated in 1985, which maybe that's how Weird Al would love his story to have ended. Oh, you never know. If you go past the photos, did you guys go past the photos at all with the grave scene? Did you see? Yeah. That? No, I missed. I didn't oh, see that. Okay. Well, so I don't know why end, that. How did I miss that? Okay, at the end. There's a but there's a post credit scene, so stick stay around. I don't know if I want to spoil it or not, but I will. Unless you tell me not to, but No, go ahead. Madonna comes and visits the grave and puts some flowers on the grave and then the hand comes out and grabs Madonna and she screams. All right. All right. So yep. you never um, know what's gonna happen. Zombie weird now, I'm here for that. Does anybody have any other thoughts from the movie like specifically from the movie real quick? No. It's fun. You should watch it. Yeah, it's very fun. I don't think I... Perfect, because now is the time I want to transition to two other topics. Okay. I think every... The movie itself is very good. The, the distribution, I think, is a huge disservice to it, I think. Oh, it sure. Roku exclusive. Like, at first it was like, ah, okay, that's funny. But honestly, it's a huge disservice, because this movie, I think, would actually would do pretty well. Or at least do, you know, I think there'd be a lot of interest that Weird Al has a lot of fans of multiple ages. Like, the every year there's a new 13 year old kid that just discovered weird al and thinks that nobody's ever heard of him you know yeah just every yes. year there's a new 19 year old kid who's found the beatles for the first time 
there's always a kid who has just discovered Weird Al and makes it his whole personality for a year. It's a credit to his success in a way because I think that he is such an iconic figure, but he is also still niche enough that people do discover him. And it's like, whoa, I've never heard of this guy before. What, what do you mean he's been around forever? Because I saw in some of my research beforehand that um, it took it actually took Daniel Radcliffe signing on to do this for the Roku channel to agree to do it at all. So it sounded like, I don't know, maybe they had trouble getting a buyer for this movie. I don't know that for a fact. I'm just see, I'm just thinking, like, even the Roku channel wouldn't take that without Daniel Radcliffe attached. It seemed mm. interesting to me because Roku is fairly new to the original content market. Most of their original content are Quibi leftovers, if you remember that, R.I.P. Quibi. But they're trying to get into original content more and this movie is probably their highest profile way so far. And so you're right. It ends up being a disservice to the movie. Whether it's a service to Roku, I don't know. Because, you know, these companies never tell us how many people actually watch their right. stuff. But you're right. You might drive a huge amount of subscribers that then suddenly dip off. You know, I know. know. This is something mm -hmm. that, like should have been... Should have at least been a limited release in theaters for, you know, indie theaters. I can see small theaters doing small screenings of this for a two-week engagement or something in select cities. You know, something like that versus uh -huh. fully dumping it on whatever this is. Oh, yeah. Whatever Roku Indie is. theaters would go ham with something like this. I mean, you know, dress up day. as Weird Al, bring your accordions, you'd uh -huh. have the music playing in the thing, and the crazy thing uh -huh. it would be is a huge smash at little indie theaters. Right. Yeah. it's and That's what I'm thinking, you know? And maybe it'll become that someday, you know? Because maybe if it's a uh, Rocky Horror style, everybody watches the movie and has lines they say back to it. I can see that. Very similar to UHF, his other cult classic, which we should consider reviewing also. We can review UHF. I'm fine with that. It is very surprising that Weird Al really hasn't... I mean, he's been in the movie industry a lot. Like, he's done a lot of songs for films. I'm thinking like Spy Hard and things like that. He's been in a lot of television. You know, we hear said the voice of Seth Green briefly in this movie. He did a lot with Robot Chicken. So it is, but I think honestly, Weird Al could have, he could be in all things. Like he could do music, film, and television very easily because I think he's a talented guy. I mean, maybe he just doesn't have the time to dedicate to those three things. But just watching the movie, I feel like, because I feel like everybody here, nobody, a lot of the people here didn't audition. They did it because they love Weird Al. Like Lin Manuel Miranda, all of those cameos we mentioned earlier, they're here because it's like Weird Al wants me to be in a movie. Absolutely. Right. They just, his he has a very eclectic fan base. For the record, that man's got time. Again, they point out very clearly his whole point of fame is taking already completed musical compositions I, and changing the lyric. I love that as as the film, one of the film's you know, yeah. subtle things is Weird Al essentially being constantly critical of himself. One of the funnier scenes is Will Forte just running down Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al while his brother, played by Weird Al Yankovic, sits behind him. And after a while, Weird Al says, okay, yeah, you're like, you want to just be like, hey, okay, my feelings are starting to be hurt now. All right. Because he's like, you're ugly and you're stupid and you have no talent. Weird Al's like, let's, let's chill. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think I, I really hope that it does develop a little bit of a following, develop a little bit of a I feel fandom like because want to I do see think it is really good. Despite my movie. criticisms, I think it's a very fun movie and I love Weird Al. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But the other thing I wanted to ask was, what are some of our favorite Weird Al songs? Perfect. I was going to ask the same question. There you go. I mean, we're right on. We're in. 
Sí. I was a late bloomer to Weird Al, so I didn't really get like super into his music until Running With Scissors. You know, I don't know the name of it now, but his parody of American Pie is the one that got me really interested mm -hmm. in his mm -hmm. music. And then I went backwards. Yes, I believe that is the Star Wars one, right? Right. Yes. The saga begins. The saga, the saga begins. I can't ever remember the name of it. I was just looking at Go him. Ahead, I was trying to see where I got into him. And it was around middle school for me. I remember, this is so funny, thinking back on this. I remember downloading Weird Al songs on Napster. <laughs> date yourself, boy. We're at a time when we can date ourselves, Absolutely guys. did that. <laughs> My apologies to the FBI. I don't know. But yeah, I remember being really into Amish Paradise and some of the polka medleys he would do. I always love his polka medleys. Those are fun. Yeah. And so really at that point, I've been into him ever since. And then I got a nice little surge when his White and Nerdy album came out. Yeah, White and Nerdy was listening to in school. I remember I had a burned Weird Al CD right. on Walkman on the school bus. <laughs> to date myself a little more, more I was the kid listening more to more incredibly old sentences that's how it is um, I, I would say that in terms of getting into it I do remember so I think my first real introduction was probably either fat or eat it because I remember watching VHS and then them playing the videos on VHS and thinking they were funny but thinking that guy not realizing that guy had other stuff and other things and it was just like a th something that happened once um but then, yeah, when I was probably 14 or 15, I discovered, I don't know how exactly, I just discovered the huge uh, oeuvre of Weird Al. And, oh, I do remember, a so I had a friend who had a CD. I don't remember, it was, I, I, Garrett, I do think it was Running With Scissors because we would laugh at all the songs on there, but then we would we would play video game. We, what we do is we would try to, finish a level of a game in the amount of time it took Weird Al to sing the song Albuquerque, which is an oh, 11 Oh, yes. Albuquerque was song. one of my favorite songs. It was so funny. It's an 11 and a half minute song. It's basically just a rant with, the, with a few choral bits. Yeah, it's crazy. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> and so we would try to beat the level. And we were like, okay, the goal is beat the level before, before Albuquerque ends, right? And that was one of the bits we would do. And so from then on, but I mean, so many, whether it, I love Smells Like Nirvana, I love, I love Amish Paradise, obviously, like those are the ones that everybody always comes to mind. Like you said, Josh, White Nerdy, which I think really revolution, like really, like everybody was like, oh yeah, weird out. Yeah. And then it, it was just great. It. Everybody loves that one. Less loved, but shortly after that was Canadian Idiot, which I really liked. And then, yeah, Socket Begins. But I do have to say that I think. One of my favorite things on every Weird Al, uh, Weird Al album is the, I don't know what exactly to call it, the polka song where he just does a bunch of top 40 hits, but in polka style. I could listen to those all day and I do listen to them all day. I have it on a playlist where I just listen to those. It has ruined certain songs for me. I can't sing the gorillas without doing it like Weird Al. I, the song Push by Matchbox 20 increased in my personal popularity with me just because of Weird Al going, I want to push you around, well, I will, well, I will. <laughs> One of my favorite things. And in every polka song, in every Weird Al polka song, there's a bit where the beat changes and it like drops and he goes, bleh, bleh, and it's like a really goofy song. Those songs are always my, it's always my favorite part because it's always the most, usually it's the most aggressive or hardcore song and he just turns it into a complete goof. So yeah, whether it's, I don't know what they're all called, polka party or a polka face, any of those. Yeah. There's one where 
it opens i think it opens and closes with gold digger by kanye and that's for that song helped me learn the lyrics to gold digger just because i could not tell what jamie fox is saying in that song one one thing yeah all great one of the things i love about weird al is his live shows are very fun but the one that i've ever been to a live show yeah, yeah, I went to the live show the year that he came here in 2013. He mm. did a show that year at the Tulsa Theater. And he did one again recently, but I didn't get to go. But I regret it because I actually heard about this through a podcast. I didn't know about it when it actually happened. But his most recent tour was the Ridiculously Self-Indulgent Ill-Advised Vanity Tour. And the whole point of the tour was that he did not sing a single hit. He only sang his like album cuts for the whole show. Oh, that's great. And people didn't know that, and they were just, mm-hmm. it's great. So he's out there singing Gump. Literally. Yes. Icky Breaky Song. You know, there's the Polka, Bohemian Rhapsody Polka. I don't know if he did that one. It's the entire song of Bohemian Rhapsody, but it's Polka version. Yeah, I don't know what all he did, but once I heard the premise of the tour, I was like, yes, literally only Weird Al could get away with something like that and have fans not be angry. I Agreed. Agreed. I've never seen him live. I would love to. It doesn't sound like we're going to get any more Weird Al albums, at least not in the near future. He's kind of in interviews recently. I saw he said that he's sort of putting that on hold until unless a great idea comes to him. But he's probably more likely just going to release individual singles if he releases songs at all. Yeah, I remember hearing something similar from him and that, you know, the music market industry, the music industry today isn't really an album industry. For most artists, you know, you have to be really special to sell an album anymore. It's always streaming singles. So I could see that being a thing for him because he's, I mean, it's exactly right. When it comes to a parody song, you have to strike when the moment's hot. And that's a lot different than it is. It's a lot different today than it was in the 80s. You can't. Is it though? Because songs come and I guess the songs come and go in moments. So, I mean, if you can see that an old song is popular, then you can parody an old song at any point in time if you have some. Can. Because it, it goes through a circle at this point. But it may not be relevant anymore, I think, is his fear. Is that, That's true. You know, back then, if a song came out and you loved it, too bad until the album came out. You know, it was like listening right. to the radio. But now well, you can get yeah. access to that song immediately. And so there's right. no time. Songs can come and go in a flash now. Right. And, you know, because the music industry used to have such a reliance on radio as its main as one of its main ways of delivering music to people, a song like My Sharona could have be on could be on radio for 10 years after it came out. You know, so like a song's relevancy period could be a way longer, whereas I do feel like today, if a song really like hits on the, you know, the cutting edge, then usually, yeah, it'll stick around. But there are tons of songs just from the last year alone. That have already, who you know, oh yeah, I forgot that even, you know, it's harder to wreck it. You have to wait and see what the staying power of a certain song is these days yeah. because you don't want to write a parody of, I couldn't think of, couldn't even think of an obscure song. That's how hard that was. Anyway, you don't want to write a parody that, you know, although as the movie in, in implies, some of these songs got big bumps just from Weird Al recording parodies. Yes, of the them. Yankovic bump. That was the whole reason why Madonna in the movie wanted to get close to Al was that she wanted him to give like a virgin the Alf- mm-hmm. the Yankovic bump. Not mm-hmm. real, I might add. The Colbert bump, though, is real. The Colbert bump is real, but the Yankovic bump is not yet proven. 
Well, do we have anything else? Boys, I've seen the uh, review, so I've got some stuff ready. Unfortunately, I saw what it was. Okay. But you already saw the, you already saw yeah, the made an oopsie. I, I don't have box office numbers because the movie wasn't released in box office. I do want to say that Will Al, uh, Will Al, Weird Al's highest actual charting single is White and Nerdy. That came out at number, that, that went all the way up to number nine. His highest charting, his only, uh, in contrast to the film, his only album to chart number one on the U.S. box, the U.S. billboard charts is mandatory fun his last album in 2014 and you're welcome um, for that now right after his appearance on rs radio he did have others that were made the top 10 alpocalypse straight out of linwood made the top 10 but uh, unlike in the film he it was kind of a slog for a while he got he was very popular at the time and he dipped and then get back in there and he dipped i'll give you one box office stat that i bothered to look up which is i wondered what was the most successful parody movie and walk the, line, the right? list is pretty huh walk the line no it's not a walk hardy thing i think you're thinking oh that's what i mean um, you got it walk hard the dewey cox story which josh you said it a week ago or so you're right i think if you put this Walk hard and never stop stopping in a group together. It's like an out of music trilogy. biopic trilogy. So the number one parody slash spoof movie in terms of box office draw is Austin no. Powers in Goldmember. Austin Powers Spy of Shag Me is number two. So Austin Powers Goldmember made two hundred thirteen million. Scary movies also on the list. Borat, The Naked Guns, Airplane is still the number nine highest grossing parody film. And I kind of think this movie has more in common with Airplane than it does some other parody films. I'm gonna put that out there. I can see that. Anyway, that's that's all I've got this week. Uh, Josh, uh, do you want to run the letterbox game? Well, no, because Dave, because Garrett said he already saw it. All I right, done so, ruined. Garrett, I got some good reviews but for he you. He can run it. Wide range. I'm sorry, range. I blanked on exactly what happened. That's okay. That's okay. Three and a half stars. This is what Bohemian Rhapsody wishes it was. <laughs> Four and a half stars. Lin Manuel Miranda jump scare. Three and a half stars, a step forward for movies and music at the same time. Yeah. Two and a half stars, weirdly anti-Madonna. It's true. And true. then my favorite, four-star review, one of the dumbest movies I've seen in a long time. And I mean that as the highest. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's this definitely dumb in all of the best ways. You know, there are two types of people in the world. There are people who get jump scared when Lynn manuel Miranda shows up. And there are people who still get excited when he does. And I still like it. Yeah. I still get excited. Yeah, I'm, you know, as someone who didn't dive head head first into the Hamilton right. craze, I'm at a point now where I am listening to it and going, oh, yeah, this is all right. And Lynn Manuel Miranda is still a pleasant surprise for me. There's some people who have been oversaturated. Some people are really but, but not me. Uh, but I don't mind. Yeah, this is the movie that Trick or Treat wishes it was, which is a fun, dumb parody. I'm going to guess that, we, that weird, the Al Yankovic story is sitting at a, 3.9? Oh! Ooh! High number. 3.9. I feel like the, that's the a grand for this. Weird Al fans. Weird Al fans are going to say it's bad. No, they're not. That's true. You're right. You got to think that there's some. Pro there might be some crossover from Weird Al and Letterboxd. I mean, we three are. Yeah, the Letterboxd community definitely seems like a, the Weird Al community. They do. There was a outboxed. It would be a lot of the crossover. I'm going to go lower though. Because you've really put me in a position where I'd have to go four to go higher. Hmm. There's just no way I can get there. And establish um, the ceiling. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go three point three. Three point three. Well, 
we've got a winner in the Weird Al fan, David. At the what? Weird Al, or Weird the Al Yankovic story is uh, coming in at a 3.7. Oh, all right. Mm. All right. All right. Oh, On the higher well, end. That is very high. I'm, I was honestly surprised when I saw that. Well, what would you have guessed if you had even thought about it, Garrett? I probably would have gone with a three and a half, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought about that as a safe bet, but then I just kind of thought to myself, you know, it's not bad. So the no. thing is, anybody who would come in to rate it poorly, I just don't feel like they would take the time, right? Yeah. I don't know. That makes no sense. But I really thought, okay, Weird Al fans are going to love this. You know, let's, let's, let's go high. 3.7. I think that's fair. Yeah, I agree. All right, personal what do we rankings. Think we have it as, yeah, what do we got it? Very intrigued. It's a 4.5 for me. Whoa! Nearly okay, perfect. I have very little bad to say about it. It is a hits a lot of niches for me that I so obviously I like give it a little credit for that. But I would watch it again easily. So I am going to go lower than that, and I'm gonna say mm-hmm. I'm gonna say here you go. <laughs> oh man. Well, dang, I was going to do some averages because I think this will be fun because I also really like this movie. However, I think that it lost me in the second half. I will say what I didn't say earlier is that I watched this movie again today also. And it's still very funny, very solid. I would easily watch it again, but I still had the same problems with it this time that I had the first time. So it's consistent, which isn't a bad thing. But for me, because I couldn't overcome it the second time, three stars. I'll tell you right now, the Pablo Escobar thing is is what's keeping it from a five for me. Yes, and you know That's what? That's where my yeah, comes in. Garrett, you really established, I think, what is, for me, the difference between a four-star movie and a three-and-a-half-star movie, or higher, four-and-a-half, is the rewatchability. And I don't know if I sat down and watched this again that I would get the same enjoyment out of it, so I'm going to go with three-and-a-half. Because I did really enjoy it, but I'm not sure I will be popping it in to rewatch it anytime soon. Well, we'll be we popping it anywhere. In. It's on Roku. Oh, I'm sorry, David. I got very excited. Yeah, and it's hard to find if you don't want to seek it out. We come in right with the Letterbox community at a 3.66667. 3.7 round up. Right there, right boys. Up. I love We're back. I love it when a plan comes together. We're back. We've been off lately, but the algorithm comes together. Yep. Yes. Okay, well, that is our episode. The Happy Thanksgiving. First of all, we've got some fun stuff coming up. You can keep an eye on your feet for the encore of our Knives Out review because that is a Thanksgiving movie. It was declared last year. So we will be re-releasing that episode for you to listen to in anticipation of the sequel, Glass Onion, coming out very soon in theaters and on Netflix. So we will be covering both of those. But you'll get two episodes this week, basically. This one and a nice, fun little Knives Out rerun. Everybody loves that, right? It's not Thanksgiving. It's not Thanksgiving if you don't watch reruns. Yes, and you know the it's a Thanksgiving movie almost entirely just because of the sweaters and the <laughs> you know like cardigans and it's so cozy wet like the yeah look clothing in that movie is so cozy. We could relitigate it all day, but it does come down to the fact that the clothes are perfect, the family yelling at each other is perfect, the big house, all that. It's Thanksgiving to a T. Exactly. So we'll have more of that. For you down the road, and then we will wrap out our year as usual with some Christmas fun and some year-end wrap-ups and, you know, the drill. It's going to be a good time. Oh, yeah. So check us out online, all of the, uh, all your favorite social media platforms we're on. 
so many sequels or so many sequels pod on most of those. And of course, you can find links at so many sequels.com. I also want to shout out again our Patreon real quick. I always mean to do it at the beginning of the show and never do. Mm-hmm. But you should check out our Patreon where you can join for a dollar and get into our Discord and come chat with us there. We have fun too. So go do that at patreon.com slash so many sequels. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next time.